0: Well good morning everybody. I'm Caleb. Hi everybody. Um, and I know if, if you know me and you know my fandom and sports, you probably were worried. You saw I had a microphone that I would talk about Michigan winning the Big Ten championship or ending up undefeated, likely number one in the college playoffs. Um, but I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not. So sorry to let you down if you were expecting that. Um, Christ be magnified. This is an exciting time to be part of River Run and what God is doing here in our community. I think if we could just—I want to just take that lyric and just slap it on the heart of everything we're doing right now, everything we are as a church. Christ be magnified. Um, and we're going into this new series, Unwrap the Gift, and um, even as you we are going to read that passage that's being looked at that's, that we're going through in this intro video in, in, in uh, Isaiah 9. We're going to read that a little bit today as well, but— it's very easy to run through this month and be busy, right? Like, it's very easy to get to January and say, whew, we did all the parties, we got all the gifts, we did all the traveling, we punched all the lists, all the checklists, and now it's a new year. Um, but what we want to do, at least when we're together as a community, here on Sunday mornings or when you're in your, in, in your small groups together, as we don't want to do that. Uh, what a shame it would be to run through this month, get to January and say, oh, I forgot that was about Jesus. Um, and so the hope of these next four weeks is to fix our eyes on the person of Jesus Christ as the reason, we say the reason for the season, the reason for everything, the reason for our life, the reason this church exists. Um, so we're going to direct our attention to Him. And we're going to start that out Uh, this morning. And and so uh, before I get into that, let me go ahead and pray. And first, Lord, thank you that Michigan won yesterday. I know I just speak for everyone. Uh, No, let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, Christ be magnified in in me. Christ be magnified in us as a family. Um, From the altar of our lives, Christ be magnified. And I pray, Lord, that uh, this morning as we go through this message that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts. I pray that I wouldn't be in the way and that you just speak truth to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this series is, is really functioning in two ways. One, direct our attention on Christ as we walk through December together. And, and two, to kind of put an exclamation point on this year as a whole. This year, our focus as the heart that we've had behind the entire year is making the most of what, we, what we've been given. That God has given us gifts in order that we would know Him, become like Him, and and love one another and represent Him to the world. He's given us gifts to use. And so this series is also going to call back to some of what we've talked about over the course of this year. And right at the beginning of the year, we talked about Scripture as a foundational gift God has given us in order that we might know Him. And you can go back and listen to messages from, I think, January, maybe even February some. um, that talk about the way that we have this incredible gift, the Scriptures, that God has given us in His grace, but they're very underutilized by many people in the church, including, as I talked about back then, myself in my own life. Um, But these are a gift to us, and they're a gift in a lot of different ways. The Bible does a lot of things. The Bible is a gift to give us understanding of God. It's a gift to instruct us on His ways for life. It's a gift to help us understand ourselves and to reveal humanity and the problem of sin and all of that. But one of the things the Bible serves as is what I want to focus on today. That the Bible gives the gift of hope. The Bible gives the gift of hope. And you see that throughout the pages of Scripture. In the grand narrative of the entire Bible, it is built around the idea of hope. But also, all throughout the pages, it is filled with micro-narratives. Small stories within the grand story that are all about hope. Hope anticipated, hope realized. And today, and if you saw your homework assignment, you were supposed to read Luke chapter 1. I put it on Facebook. If you didn't, it's okay. Late work will be accepted. Um, you can do that today. Read Luke chapter 1. It's a, it's a long chapter. But as we go into this, this season, and as we um, really get into this message, we're going to read a passage from Luke chapter 1. But I want to give you, within Luke 1, there's a couple of different small narratives of hope. But we're going to focus specifically on the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. That Luke, when he begins uh, his gospel narrative of of the person of Jesus, how he came, was born, his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, that at the beginning of this, he doesn't start with Mary's prophecy that she receives from Gabriel, the angel, but starts with a man named Zechariah, an old priest. An old priest going to minister before the Lord because his name got drawn out of the hat, essentially. It's his turn to go in before the presence of God and do some priestly works that were uh, required of him. Zechariah is old. His wife, Elizabeth, also old. All right. Uh, and barren. Past the time that she could have any children. Zechariah goes in there. And when he goes in before the Lord, something happens that never happens when he goes in there, or anybody does. An angel shows up. And the angel Gabriel shows up with a message from God. And the message to Zechariah is that your Wife is going to become pregnant. And Zechariah says, Huh? Yeah, your wife's going to become pregnant. And your wife is going to have a son. And that son is going to come and be a source of joy and hope. And he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And Zechariah looks at Gabriel and says, That can't happen. That can't happen. How can this be? And so there, in the presence of the Lord, hidden away from everyone else, Zechariah is struck with being mute. He can no longer speak until the day the child will be born. So Zechariah comes out, and he can't tell anybody what's happened. He can't communicate it in that way. He goes home eventually, and and his wife becomes pregnant. And then for the entirety of the nine months, he is silent. Now, there in the presence of the Lord, he was given a promise that seemed like it was impossible— That there would be a child. So for nine months while he's quiet, he watches his wife's stomach growing as within his wife is growing exactly what was promised. Now, I know there's probably some uh, wives in here that wish their husbands would have had to be silent the entirety of their pregnancy, (laughs) or at least some of the time during their pregnancy. Um, My wife would probably second that as well. I talk too much. You may know that about me. All right. But Zechariah can't talk for nine months. And he watches as in the micro story. So two, th- two sources of hope are given by the angel. One is, hey, you're barren. You've never had a child. And I, God is going to give you a child. So that, that seems impossible. So for nine months he watches as that is coming to be true. And alongside that, the angel also said, and that child carries with it a promise of hope for the people. That when this child comes, He's coming to prepare the way for the Lord. And he's coming to turn the hearts of people back to God. And so at the end of this, the baby is born. And, and the baby is, is born. And, and Zechariah and Elizabeth, they join together. And, and Zechariah writes down the name to give the child. And everyone expects that you'd name the child Zechariah, you've waited this long and you have a son. Finally, you will do what everyone in their culture did. You'll name that son after you to carry on your heritage of what you have brought to the world. And Zechariah writes down, his name is John. And if you saw him write it in Hebrew, you would see him write, his name is the Lord is a gracious giver. That's what John means. The Lord is a gracious giver. And when John writes that, his mouth opens up and he can speak. And Luke tells us what he does with those first words he can speak after nine months of watching a promise become reality. And we read this from Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 75. And you can follow along here on the screen or in your worship guide. All the scriptures are there as well. He says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has visited and redeemed His people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of His servant, David. Remember that Savior from the royal line of His servant, David. Just as He promised through His holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. Now, we're going to talk the rest of this time about the Bible is a book that gives hope. And a lot of what we anticipate, or we say about Jesus, or Zechariah says about Jesus, it comes from his Bible of the time. Which in Zechariah's day, the Bible was what we call the Old Testament. So I've highlighted some things here that we're going to go look at in the Old Testament. A Savior from the line of David, the one promised through the holy prophets. He then continues on and says, He, God, has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. The covenant or the promise that he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. How do we know who David is? How do we know what the prophet said? How do we know what the promise is to Abraham? The Bible. The Bible. They give hope of what Zechariah is waiting for. And he says, This we have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear and holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. Now, hope. The Bible gives the gift of hope. If you look up hope, you end up kind of seeing some different ideas. It's, the, hope is, uh, the, the basic definition is the, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. The expectation or desire for a certain thing to happen. Now, we often think about that as being optimistic, that things will work out. What we find in the scriptures is that biblical hope, it isn't based on optimism. It's built on promises. Biblical hope isn't based on optimism. Hey, things will work out. The power of positive thinking. Think about the best things. Imagine your ideal future and you will uh, manifest your future. No, it's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is not based on optimism. It is rooted in optimism built upon promises. And you'll get a lot of optimism, positive thinking, and self-help books or gurus nowadays. It's kind of the pop culture version of hope is be really optimistic. It'll all work out. Things will get better. Just focus on all the positive things. Imagine the best possibility of your future. And listen, if anybody knows me, I'm optimistic. Like to a fault probably. Um, I mean, I think the Lions are going to win the Super Bowl. So if that doesn't tell you all right? So, uh, optimism, I'm not saying it's not a bad thing innately, but it's not nearly as sturdy as the hope that the Bible gives us. And if you're taking notes, I would write this down or write something like this that biblical hope is more than just wishful thinking of future possibilities, it is actually confident trust in the promise of future reality. Biblical hope isn't rooted in, hey, I'm going to try to imagine the best future possibility wishfully. No, no, no. Biblical hope, biblical hope is about confident trust in a promise of a future reality. Here when Zechariah sings, that's what he calls back to. The promises that defined an expected reality for the people of the Bible. The promise to Abraham, the promise to David, And the promises of the prophets. So just for a few minutes, I want to kind of survey those three things. What are they? Um, And we can't get into all of it, so sorry about that. You can ask me questions after if you want, Um, but I'm not allowed to preach for three hours on Sunday mornings, okay? All right. So the first one is the promise to Abraham. Biblical hope is built on promises. And the first one is the promise to Abraham. So in Genesis chapter 12 is where we find that promise made to Abraham. And if you— heard me talk about this before. We, Genesis 11 is kind of the culmination of the fallenness of humanity. Genesis 11 is where you may have heard of the Tower of Babel. It's where humanity has kind of downward spiral of sin against God, rebellion against God, sin against each other, murder and violence and strife and, and oppression and pride and all the stuff of the brokenness of this world. And and the culmination of that is a tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Babel just means chaos. So the world is chaotic, it's dark, and it's broken. And in Genesis 12, in the midst of that world, God starts his plan to restore all things. And it begins with a promise to a man named Abram. And let's read that from Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. The Lord shows up in Abram's life, and the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous. Now, that's not like Instagram famous, all right? We're not talking like, Abram, you are going to have so many followers. You're going to get a blue check mark, You're verified or whatever it is. On the like, that's not what he's talking about. What it means is people are going to remember your name, Abram. Why? Because of this promise. Because of this promise, Abram, people are going to remember your name for generations to come. He goes on, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So for the sake of time, I just want us to notice two things. Here's a random guy. Abram had no reason to be famous or remembered uh, that was different than his like neighbors had. In fact, Abram and his wife, Sarai, they're just like Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're past the age of even having children. It is less likely for Abram to be remembered than almost anyone else around him because he has no children. And yet God says, Abram, for generations, people are going to remember your name. Why? Because I am making a promise and I will keep it. And then at the end here, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you, through your family. Now remember the context. All those people in the darkness and chaos scattered all over the world from the Tower of Babel, broken with sin, just captive under death. I'm going to bless them all through your family, Abram. How? Because I'm going to keep this promise. So from there on in Genesis 12, from there on throughout the Bible, the Bible anticipates the fulfillment of this promise. That Abram's name will not be forgotten. It's later his name is changed to Abraham by God. Abraham's name will not be forgotten. And at some point from Abraham's family, all those broken people all over the world scattered to the nations, they're going to be blessed through that family. So that promise, we wait for. The second one that Zechariah calls back to is the promise to David, a mighty savior from the line of David. The promise to David. David. Well, Abraham's promise is about 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. David, about 1,000 years later, by now, Abram's family has become a nation, Israel. Abram's family now lives in that land that he was told he would find in the land of Canaan. And they have now become a kingdom with the king of God's choosing. His name is David. So here we are, Abraham, uh, 2,000 BC, about, and then about 1,000 BC. Now we have David the king. And David the king has a heart after God, and, and God makes him a promise. And we're going to read it from First Chronicles chapter 17, 11 through 14. First Chronicle 17,11 through14. Uh, God says this to David, "For when you die, David, and you're buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants." One of your own sons. And I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for me. He goes on and says, And I will secure his throne forever. Say forever. Forever. Good job. You're paying attention. Forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. I will never take my favor from him as I took it from the one who ruled before you. That's about King Saul. I will confirm him, your descendant, As king over my house and my kingdom for all time. Say all time. All All right. For all time and his throne will be secure forever. All right. So the promise to Abram. All right. Abram, your name is not going to be forgotten because I am going to keep this promise. And from your family, all those nations that are broken and under, in darkness and death, they're going to be blessed through your family. Thousand years later. And David... Not only will all those nations be blessed, but I, from your line, am going to raise up one of your descendants to be a king forever, to reign over my house and my kingdom for all time. Now, this is a quick history lesson. David's son Solomon is kind of the first fulfillment of that. As his own actual biological son Solomon becomes the next king and God gives him strength, The problem is, by the end of Solomon's life, he rebels against God. He starts to be a terrible king. And when he dies, that family of Abraham, Israel, tear apart in civil war. 200 years later, uh, a massive percentage of them are wiped out in death or exiled to other land. A few hundred years after that, the whole land is lost by Israel as they go off into exile. So When will that descendant come that will have a forever kingdom that will reign over God's kingdom and God's house for all time? The promise to Abraham, the promise to David. And as everything gets darker, David, so David receives that promise. His son Solomon inherits this kingdom of peace and everything is good. And they've driven out the enemies by the end of his life. He's ruining it all. Fifty years after David's died, there's civil war and the land is torn apart. And they turn the promised land into Babel, into chaos again. And for those hundreds hundreds of years after that, there's just darkness and darkness and darkness. Sin and brokenness and death. But it's in those years of darkness and seemingly hopelessness that Abraham's family is ever going to bless the nations or that David's family will ever have a king who reigns forever and ever. It's in those days that God raises up these people called prophets. And those prophets give God's perspective, often on the present. But what we're focusing on today is they give God's view of the future ahead. And the prophets build off of that promise to David. David. And the promise to Abraham, and start to describe a hope for a future that is on the other side of human brokenness and rebellion. Isaiah 9, the one that we read or that was in even the video earlier, we're gonna read from that passage now. Isaiah chapter 9. So, the promise of the prophets. The promise to Abraham, the promise to David, the promise of the prophets. And listen to the language of this. So, Isaiah is a prophet, his name means Yahweh is the Savior. In fact, Isaiah's name is very much the same as Jesus' name later on. That God, Yahweh, the Lord saves. And Isaiah is a prophet in some of the darkest times in that promised land after David's died many generations later. There's enemies in the land. People are being killed. They're fighting each other. They're worshiping idols. They're committing all kinds of gross immorality in the promised land. And in the midst of all that, Isaiah says, Look, judgment is coming for our sins. But beyond that judgment, there is restoration to hope for. Listen to this from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, he says, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which are kind of like, they're part of that land. They were the first cities or first regions to be wiped out by sin and brokenness in the promised land. That land, it will be humbled, but... There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, that's another name for that land, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, there will be a time where it is filled with glory. The revelation of God will happen there. By the way, this is where Jesus was raised. It goes on. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For you will break the yoke of their slavery. And lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. This is what God will do. That he will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. Just stop for a minute. This is about Israel. But in the New Testament, it pulls us in. This is the story of the gospel. All right. So every one of us carries these things. We have a yoke of slavery that we can't free ourselves from, a yoke of slavery to sin. We're we're trapped in it. And we have a burden that we can't carry on our own. And Isaiah the prophet says, yes, true, and. God is going to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Break the yoke of your slavery and lift the heavy burden. Well, when will this happen? And Isaiah writes and says this, for a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wait, a king is going to be born, and we're going to call him God? I didn't know that. Wait, that's even better than what David's promise was. Not only will it be a son from David's line, but you're saying it will be a son of God? God? His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The hope of the prophets. Are you in darkness? Light will come. Are you in slavery? Freedom will come. Are you in despair? Hope will come. Joy will come. When? Why? The king will come. And this king is our God. Now, so, this is hundreds of years before Jesus. But these are promises. You see biblical hope. You hear it already? Like the the Israelites weren't going through the Old Testament. The people of the Old Testament aren't just thinking it's going to get better someday, which is what we think a lot, right? It's going to get better. This can't last forever. This boss is going to get fired eventually, right? I mean, my neighbors will probably move eventually. Like this won't last forever. We'll get through this. It's going to get better. I'll just kind of manifest my destiny, kind of think up positive thoughts. It was not the power of positive thinking. It was the certainty of God's promises that gave hope to God's people to keep on moving forward because they knew that if God promised it about the future, it was as true as if it's already present. The promise to Abraham that from this family, all these nations will be blessed. The promise to David that from his family, there will be a king that reigns over God's kingdom forever. And the promise of the prophets that that king will be the son of God and he will light up the darkness and lift those who are in despair and set the captives free. Later on in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40, um, God speaks this through Isaiah in 40 verses 1 through 3. He says, comfort, comfort my people. Like, be comforted, says, the, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, Isaiah. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Those are words to to Israel in their darkest time. They've had centuries of sad days. And those words echo to us. Your sad days are gone and your sins are pardoned. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Wait, how will we know when the time has come that comfort is here? How will we know when God has come to rescue us? Well, there will be one in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. This is going to bring us back to Zechariah. In Isaiah 40 verse 9, it says it this way just a little bit later, O Zion, which speaks about the, the city of Jerusalem, the broken place, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops, Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Your God is coming. So these broken people are comforted with promises. But if you read through your Bible, you end the Old Testament, and at the end of the Old Testament, these are not yet realized. These are just promises still. And the Old Testament ends with hope for the promises of Abraham. David and the prophets. And how will they know when the promise has come? There will be the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, "Make way for the Lord." And this is the one that Zechariah has heard from the Lord, is his own son, John. That John is the one that is the first domino to fall and everything's about to start to be restored. The one has come. Our God is coming. His baby boy is going to be the one who announces that. And so now read Zechariah's words. Let's hear his song again. But in light of what he knows of the Bible, a certainty of hope for what is ahead. Luke 1, 68 through 79. Praise the Lord The God of Israel. Now I want you to picture, this is Zechariah. He's an old priest who spent his whole life trying to be faithful to God as a priest. He spent his whole life trying to mediate relationship with God for the people around him. To help them know God more. Trying to help them know the prophecies and know the truth. His whole life. And he's now looking at a baby that he never thought he would have. And he's looking at, this is the moment And so old Zechariah, here's what he says. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David. The king is here. Just as he promised through his holy prophets, the one who would light up the darkness. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. Now picture him looking at his little baby boy. And you, my little son, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. Because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. And I like to imagine then Zechariah holds the baby close and turns to look at those around him. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. It's a way of saying the sunrise in the morning. The morning light from heaven is about to break into our darkness, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. See what Zechariah does and is doing for us as we go into this, this season in December? Is, he says, hey, guess what? The promises of Abraham, of David, and of the prophets, they have a name. And their name is Jesus. That Jesus is the gift that the Bible hopes for all the way from the beginning. And I know we know that, but can we embrace that reality of how significant this was for Zechariah to say, everything we've hoped for for hundreds of years, it is found in the one Jesus who is to come. That his son John, this baby boy, is the beginning of all those promises being fulfilled. The nations will be blessed. That's you and me if we're not, of, if we're not Israelites. Uh, the, the king has come. The kingdom is here. The days of darkness, despair, death. They don't have to keep going. Um, why? Because our God has come to save us. Jesus is the promises of the Bible in flesh and blood. Jesus is the promises of the Bible in flesh and blood. And Zechariah sees this as he looks at his own son, who is the one who will declare, prepare the way of the Lord. There's water in the wilderness. There's light for the darkness. There's hope for those in despair. There's forgiveness for the sinner. And as we, as we end our time, I, I just want to bring up an image here. Um, and just to kind of close out this message. So this is an, a painting of Not Zechariah. You might think it was Zechariah. I got you. Um, This is a painting of Simeon. It's actually in Luke chapter 2. There's just a little later, a chapter later than Zechariah holding his little baby boy. There's a man named Simeon who will hold another little baby boy. And Simeon is kind of representative of the Old Testament. Of all the people who have the Bible up until the birth of Jesus. Simeon is an old, devout man who has been eagerly waiting to see the promise of Abraham, the promise of David, the promise of the prophets come to be fulfilled. And Simeon has lived his full life, but he has a promise from the Lord as well. And he's waiting to see that happen. So I'm going to read this passage to you while you look at this image of Simeon. And here on the side is Joseph and Mary. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout. And he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah, meaning the promise of David and the promise of the prophets. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, which means he was probably eight days old, when they came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. And we don't know exactly how this happened. Simeon approaches them and how much— I just like to imagine, imagine the the joy beaming from the face of Simeon, who has spent his whole life waiting for promises to not just be hoped for, but to be realized— and imagine him run up to Mary and Joseph, or maybe not running, <laughs> kind of scooting on over there and looking them in the eyes with joy in his face. Can I, can I hold him? Can I, can I hold him? And it says, Simeon takes the child in his arms and he holds baby Jesus and he praises God and he says, Sovereign Lord, now your servant can die in peace. Because as you have promised, I have seen your salvation. I have seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. The promise of Abraham. And he is the glory of your people Israel. See, Simeon realizes that what he had held in his heart his entire life, he now held in his arms as a real living fulfillment of promises. That Jesus is the gift the Bible hopes for. And for Simeon and what he invites for us is Jesus is the gift we put hope in. He's it. Jesus is the gift we put our hope in. As we come to the end of, of our message and move into our response time, I, A lot of times I think we think the Christian life is like we got to figure out a bunch of mysteries and get deeper and deeper and more complicated things. Let me ask, most of the Christian life is about believing the same things over and over again, but believing them deeper in our heart and living them more truly in our life. Everything the human heart needs is in the person of Jesus. Everything we need put on flesh and blood and lived, was born, was given as a gift to the world in the birth of Jesus Christ. So the question is whether we'll center our hope on what the Bible tells us to center our hope upon. Or will we hope in a bunch of things or just try to do positive thinking and figure things out and everything will get better? No, no, no. Fix your eyes upon Jesus and join Simeon in saying everything that we've hoped for and longed for is found in this one right here. In our response time, there's three ways to do that. One is through, through giving and we give here as a church. is in the back here or you can give online. We give not to give something from God, not to earn forgiveness, not to manipulate Him. We give to God because He has given everything to us. Secondly, on both sides, you'll find uh, at the tables, there's the the bread and and juice for communion. We go there to remember the gift of Jesus Christ, his his birth, his life, his perfection, his, his, his death and his resurrection, and the gift of eternal life we have through him. So you can go there to receive communion after I pray. And thirdly, at both sides here by the crosses, there'll be some leaders here from the church to just share in prayer with you. And maybe You, when we read the prophets, you hear that in yourself. That your time of sadness feels like it's never going to come to an end. Or your struggle with sin feels like it's never going to come to an end. Whatever it might be, please let us pray with you. Let us share this together as a family. I'm going to pray for us. and We're going to go into our response time together. Lord Jesus, all the hope is in you. It's all in you. Everything we need is found in you. Lord, you are, Lord Jesus, you are the hope of the scriptures in flesh and blood. So I pray, Lord, that for each of us, you'd show us ways that we can more deeply believe the truth that all of our hope is in you and your promises are not just maybes. They are certain. In Jesus' name, amen.